I'm Katie Lazarus, and this is Employee of the Month. So before I became an unfamous comedian, unless you've seen me and Dwayne read in the shampoo aisle. No, seriously, before I, I tried to pursue my dream, um, I worked in social service and I started a community service club and volunteered every week starting at age 14. So by 27, I was burnt out. Luckily, not everyone gives up. And Julia Basha is one of those diamonds in the rough. She's Brazilian, moved to the U.S., went to Colombia, and everything she has done has been phenomenally successful because it's so accessible. I just want to give you a little bit of background about Julia Basha. I met her through my older brother, Ned, who is a peace activist in the Middle East. And I worship him, as most people do, because he's a really sweet, earnest guy. That said, he's also my brother, so an older brother. So, like, if he had the same crappy spaghetti on his plate that I did, I'd still want his. Even if, like, my little brother's was easier to get to and it had lobster on it, I'd still want my older brother's. Because, you know, there's always that aspect with your siblings. My brother's a diamond in the rough, as is Julia Basha, who I met through him. Julia was the co-writer and co-editor of Control Room, which is about Al Jazeera. And she was nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award. This is the very first movie the woman ever worked on in her early 20s. She then went on to work on Encounterpoint and then Boudris. Boudris and Encounterpoint are documentaries that are part of Just Vision's educational curriculum. And that's the nonprofit that she works with teaching conflict resolution shedding light on local activists, namely in the Middle East. It's not a panacea, but considering how depressing and frankly irritating the conflict in the Israel and Palestine can be for the rest of us, I'm so grateful that Julia Basha remains committed to making inroads. Just Vision is the nonprofit. You should definitely check it out. Please check out Boudris. Please check out Encounterpoint, not just for me, but for yourself. And I really, really hope you enjoy this interview with her. She's an utter delight. Julia, you have done so much in so little time. It's a little uh, underwhelming for the rest of us. But um, you grew up in Brazil, and then you came here at around 17 or 18 to go to Columbia yep. University when you could have just gone to the country. It was closer if you had just gone. Why did you study uh, Middle Eastern politics and um, history? Well, I, originally I came to study English. I was supposed to go back to Rio to uh, return to law school where I was enrolled. And uh, I ended up falling in love uh, with the Liberal Arts College of the United States, which yes. doesn't exist in Brazil, where you kind of go straight from high school into a profession. You have to choose. You're going to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. And the idea that you could still study for four years, um, whatever you wanted, was yeah. very appealing to me. So I um, ended up staying. I did basket weaving, and it's worked out great. <laughs> um, how were you also studying film at the same time, and what sort of inspired you to do Middle Eastern affairs in particular? Because it is, uh, I don't know if you know this, but that situation has been going on forever. <laughs> I actually never studied film. Okay. And uh, I certainly never expected to be spending most of my time uh, in the Middle East growing up. Uh, and it was all a very big series of, you know, serendipitous events that followed one another, including a terrible event uh, 
September 11, yeah. which happened while I was in school here in New York and touched me on a personal level very deeply. Uh, and how come? Like, what what about it in in specific? Yeah, I think I think the 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 most personal thing that happened was um, a friendship that I lost uh, over uh, conversations and about September 11. And and that made me realize it was someone that I cared a lot about. Was a good friend, and it became very difficult. I was I was very shocked by the experience. I had friends who lived very close to uh, the World Trade Center and who couldn't go back home for four months uh, and stayed with me. And so there was a kind of bizarre kind of refugee situation going on in my apartment in the Upper West Side. And at the same time, I had other friends who I would that's try a, to... That's not quite a refugee situation, man. <laughs> it's a New York refugee. I mean, it's boring, but it's not like... <laughs> it's, I mean, you have to imagine it is about losing your home. For You know, these people mm-hmm. who were living very close to World Trade Center had to run yeah. from their apartments and leave everything behind, and they couldn't go back for four months. So it is a, a, yeah. a big kind of traumatic experience for people yes. to go through. It's certainly nowhere close to you know what goes on in other parts of the world americans have been incredibly blessed uh by history and I, i'm only i mean my office at the time blew up it, they were it was in one of the towers but i your I'm, office blew? that where i was working oh really not it wasn't my fault but it was because of september 11th it, it was the control i worked in the mayor's office so it was the it was the control room oh wow which is a great segue to talk about your first film and I was teasing you because you, you do such socially thoughtful films that I was, I was mocking you, not knowing what a refugee is, because I know you know. Um, Wayne, will you cue um, Control Room? I, I want to say, as he's getting it, it ready, it's a phenomenal... This was your first film that you ever worked on? Yeah. And how did you get to have such a high-level position on a film so, so quickly? In your career, so I graduated um, and promised that I was never going to come back to the United States until the Bush administration was over, wow. and that was in 2003. And I then went to the Middle East and uh, landed on a pseudo internship of sorts. Uh, it wasn't any formal work uh, with a um, documentary filmmaker called Jihan Ujjain, who is Egyptian and American. And when you say landed, because she's, a, she's a, a certainly well-respected documentary filmmaker, right. how, how did you land there? So I landed because I studied Iranian history and was going to do a master's at Tehran University. And that was my goal. But because in 2003 the U.S. invaded Iraq, I couldn't get a visa to go to Iran. Mm-hmm. And someone told me, if you go to the Arab world, it's going to be much easier for your visa to come through. And the one thing that I did related to film uh, growing up and at college was actually acting on student films. And one of the directors that I worked with knew Jihan and introduced me to her via the phone. And she's a very gutsy filmmaker um, who told me, come over to Egypt and help me uh, work on this film while you wait for your visa. Sounded great. And that's how, I mean, did you know what to do? You were an editor and a writer on the I film. had no idea. At okay. first, I, I, had, I had never, ever touched Final Cut Pro, which is, you know, the editing software of choice. And uh, never, ever, I mean, done anything professionally related to storytelling. I grew up 
putting on plays and operas and all of that, yeah. but not since I was 15, I had done any work. Uh, and uh, so it was very much a kind of landing in it and falling deeply in love with the material that Jehan had filmed in Doha. She actually shot inside Al Jazeera, which is one of the biggest Arab media headquarters, and inside Central Command, which was at the time the United States media headquarters. Let's, let's, let's let them see a uh, clip of it. Is that cool? You guys got to, just for people who haven't seen Control Room yet, um, Okay. Al Jazeera has been inviting the U.S. government officials to speak directly on their channel. We have their points of view balanced by our own. We're dealing with people that are perfectly willing to lie to the world to attempt to further their case. What Al Jazeera is struggling with is when there isn't a sort of a long tradition of being independent in any one of these kingdoms, how do you establish that now? Just like Fox plays to American patriotism, it benefits Al Jazeera to play to Arab nationalism. Your journalists have a position on the war. Are any U.S. journalists objective about this war? We've got the pictures and we show them. The decision by Al Jazeera to broadcast such material is deplorable. First of all, the film in and of itself is extraordinary. It's about Al Jazeera. Um, it's, it's about... Well, why don't you talk about it instead of me playing James Lipton? Sure. I mean, the premise of the movie is that um, Al Jazeera sits uh, 10 miles away from Central Command, which used to be the U.S. military's main headquarters in the United States and became, during the Iraq War, the media headquarters. They're 10 miles apart, but they are worlds apart in terms of their media coverage, and particularly during the Iraq War. So Jihan visited both places every day to look at how differently the media coverage was coming out. And it was the first documentary to be, you know, critical about the way that the American media coverage was looking at uh, the Iraq War. Now, today, it's very easy to criticize the Iraq War, but if you might try to come back to 2003 and remember what it looked like, um, the New York Times, in its editorial pages, were defending Operation Iraqi Freedom. And this, is, this was the bastion of liberal um, thinking in the United States. I don't think it's that liberal. I think it's a little conservative, <laughs> but... Um, the other part that it looks at, though, is that Al Jazeera gets flack, or it did at the time, from every side, meaning that within its own communities, it, was, it, didn't, it in and of itself was like a New York Times, or is like a New York Times, that it faces challenges from, from various political leaders in the region as well. So I thought what was so thoughtful about your film was showing the conflict that Al Jazeera faces on that side, and then also showing how the American spokesperson in the military started to see that if Al Jazeera's bias, maybe our media might be like Fox may have an agenda as well. Yeah, I think, you know, one of, one of, <laughs> one of the main things is, is that, you know, in, in Al Jazeera is, is a news channel just like every other channel. Uh, it's not special in, in, in terms of being particularly enlightened in any way. It's just like every other channel. And that's kind of what we wanted to do because there was a sense that this is Osama bin Laden's mouthpiece or this is the Iraqi government's yes. mouthpiece. And that's not what they are. They are a channel interested in pandering to its audiences. And yes, it makes choices that are sensationalist, just like every other channel does. And so kind of putting it, you know, breaking down a little bit of that uh, stereotype around Arab media coverage being this evil 
presence and just showing that they're that actually they're being driven by the same forces as American media. So it's good that we have greed in common in, in both Absolutely. the East and the West. <laughs> um, documentary films have now become, and they were becoming right before this, what the mainstream looks to for truth versus the news. I think that's true for most people in the audience, that you go and see a documentary to understand something in a more I would love to life. know if that's true. Ra- show your Ra- hand. Yeah, show, it, it, raise it, your hand. Okay. I liked, I'd like to know from the Two people who don't. Two thirds or yeah. so. All right. Um, you just said two turds. <laughs> we'll pause for a second to get focused. Um, but it, it's sort of a big deal, I guess, to the rest of us um, to have your first film be an award-winning film, a film that was one of the highest-grossing documentary films, which is also just strange in that world. Um, I guess so. my first question would be, like, how did you do such a good job? <laughs> well, first of all, I didn't do it, you know, on my own. There was any, you know, Jehan was really the driving force behind the film. And I think I had a lot of uh, passion and anger behind me, <laughs> driving mm-hmm. me on this. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, I did leave the U.S. I had, you know, been very active in the anti-war movement and was taking buses every weekend to go to Washington, D.C. So when I looked at her footage, I definitely felt like this was this incredible opportunity to channel so much of what I was feeling into something positive and constructive. And I completely, like, abandoned any sense of being a human being for almost 14 months uh, and just worked from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep. How do you, because you were a co-writer on this film and you were you not nominated for the Writers Guild Award, um, as one does. But see, not all of us have that. <laughs> I've gotten like seven genius grants, but... Um, how, as a documentarian, do you tell a story? I mean, it sort of says written by, and I always find that interesting because didn't it sort of write itself? Right. I mean, it is, it is and, and, and this is in no way, I don't want to get too into documentary politics here, but it is actually um, a question, you know, whether documentaries have writers or not. And there's some purists who believe, no, documentaries are real and they're the real story and you're not writing anything. But the Writers Guild of America uh, in 2005 decided that um, documentaries have writers too. Yeah, and I'm a member and they actually helped plug this event, so I I do want (laughs) to support them in that. And I believe that the films have writers because I think that documentary films have angles. Um, And I guess the question... What I really should be asking is how do you make a story that's interesting for people to see and still be factually correct? And I say that clearly coming from the uh, fiction writing side. Right. I think, you know, you know, again, there is a whole controversy around truth, like specific truth and a bigger truth. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the specific truth would be. Um, did this person say this at the exact time in which you're telling me they said it, right? This is a specific truth. The bigger truth is, is this person saying something that they meant to say in this specific time you are telling me? Right. And is this a truthful representation of that person? And, who, and will the person watch this film and believe that they were honestly represented? Yes. Yeah. And that's the truth that I aim for. How did you meet Ronit Avni? You... Mm-hmm. 
did you start Just Vision and you want to talk a little bit about what that does and and then started the film? How did how did this all come yeah, together? Yeah, I think in terms of, you know, the Employee of the Month Award, that's where we get into like real job and, and how I managed to make this into a proper career because uh, there's no question that the experience of Control Room in no way represented a, an opportunity for, you know, stable life and salary and, you know, potential livelihood. Um, once I... Um, kind of got out of that buzz of control room, I realized that I needed to pay the bills. And uh, I first actually got a job at National Geographic, which paid really well, but was not at all what I wanted to be doing in documentary film world. I was doing, doing a fall film on conjoined twins at the head, where I was recycling footage that had been used already like five or six times in other documentaries about conjoined twins at the head uh, for National Geographic. So I was very disillusioned until I actually met um, Ronit and Nahani, uh, and Nahani Rouse. For I full, should probably clarify, it's my sister-in-law. <laughs> they yes. uh, were... This is a biased interview. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, they... Um, were this you know incredible women who had been working on a film about Israelis and Palestinians uh, who had lost uh, family members to the conflict but were working together uh, to to end it, and I trusted them. I felt they were very like serious uh, ladies, and said that if you take me out of National Geographic and bring me back to the Middle East, I'll do anything for you. And what is it that you guys do specifically? You profile peace activists who are locally grown and organic no who are are from the region themselves what just vision does is it tries to fill in the gaps the gap left by the mainstream media and you know it's pretty clear that for six decades now the media has been recycling news coverage of failed political negotiations or violent actions and that seems to be the whole story that the media can give to us when in fact there's a whole lot more going on on the ground and there are thousands of israelis and palestinians who have been working tirelessly together to try to end the conflict and build peace and we don't hear about them at all right let's use that as a segue and i'm sorry to cut you off but i want to show your next film in counterpoint we are 500 families 250 Palestinian and 250 Israeli who are looking for a way to dialogue to prevent further death. Nonviolence needs visibility. So our goal is to bring visibility to the stories going on on the ground in a compelling, entertaining, funny way so that you want to go to the movies to watch it. It's not work. I wouldn't say it was the funniest film I've ever seen. I have to (laughs) say that part. Um, it was an all-female team at, uh, for Boudreaux and Encounter Point. Rarely do you have female directors, never mind the rest of the team as well. Well, first of all, it was all coincidental. In, okay. You know, I mean, both in Control Room and at Just Vision, uh, it all happened very naturally. It, I think that it's, to be very honest, I mean, for the longest time until people started pointing out, it wasn't even like something in our minds. There's no question that in the fiction film world, especially big productions uh yeah. it's it's a rarity um still but in the sort of independent non-profit uh documentary right. film world the not making money the it, women yeah. are always the ones who sign up for not making money um i'm so glad you do the work that you do in all sincerity um these these films have certainly 
changed my life, and I say that not just because my sister-in-law, sister-in-law works with you. Um, I say that because my brother does, and he's here. No. Um, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into Employee of the Month. To find out more, you can go to the website, employeeofthemonthshow.com, where you can get information about upcoming live shows and also download other podcasts. You can find these on iTunes, Sirius, or SoundCloud. Spread the word, and if you can, please donate. There's no donation too small or too big. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and thank you for listening, and don't forget to get your parking ticket validated. Oh, 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 oh,